Okay, welcome everyone to the Self-Published Wrong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, it's Nolan. And my, what do I call you, my brother, I guess? That's fine, yeah. <laughs> I'm Josh. He's our audio-visual guy, so it's kind of nice having him here right now because um, he's going to know exactly what to cut out later if we need to cut anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, tell everybody a little bit about them yourself so that they know who you are. I totally um, sprung this on him. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I like technology, I guess. <laughs> I like technology, but not as much as you. <laughs> yeah, this is mostly a hobby, audiovisual stuff. I enjoy doing it, but I'm actually a web developer. That's what at least I'm going to school for and sort of working, doing, so... I like technology. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, what's your background when it comes to writing and reading and stuff? So... I mean, my background is mostly as a consumer. I've I really really enjoy reading. I I probably read I don't know one of the first book series that I read. Twilight. Was, no. <laughs> one of the first book series I did read though was Harry Potter, and I think I read the first four books in under a week. Yeah. And I mean that was about the pace of my reading all through high school and such. And he's I, the one who got me into both uh, Brandon Mole and Brandon uh, Sanderson. Yes, Brandon Sanderson is my favorite author, and Brandon Mole is pretty good, too. Yeah, do you remember when you got me to read Mistborn? He he put Mistborn on my bed with a note, and you were in high school at this point, that said, read this or I'll commit you to suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that, but that sounds like me. Yep. So, commit you to suicide. Commit you to suicide. <laughs> That's pretty good, I guess. Yep. Anyway, so he's he's dabbled in writing. I've been trying to get him to actually write, but you know he's in college and he's doing all he's trying to date and all that stuff. So there's other things in his life. <laughs> yeah, the problem is is I'll start. I mean, I probably have like six started book ideas and outlines in my Google Drive, but I then get bored and start <laughs> reading again. <laughs> I knew I was going to be a writer when I started reading Aragon. And I was like, I could do this so much better. <laughs> a third grader could do it just, better. Just wait till the... Can, wait. You, can you make as much money as him? Um, I don't know. So can I? Please? A third grader, wasn't he? Th what grade was he? He was in like 16 when, I, when oh, he yeah. first wrote it. Please? Please. <laughs> Maybe they just I don't know. His parents had um, all sorts of cool connections. So. Did they? Yeah, that's how he got in. I mean, his parents were there. All right, sorry, Josh. <laughs> now, that we're, now that we're done insulting powerful authors. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, so our schedule. Let's see. Uh, okay, I'll just give you the schedule. The movies that we're going to be doing next, we're doing Red right now. By the way, we decided to invite my brother in to do Red and Jurassic Park 3. I don't remember. Oh, why? Because we were going to do Jurassic Park 3, and then I realized we told everybody we were doing Red. So instead of canceling on Josh, I was like, why don't you do, do both movies with us? So we'll do Red, and then Jurassic Park 3, and then the next one is Sweet Home Alabama, then Skyline, which we have teased about before, I think. Haven't we, towards the yeah. beginning of the yeah. podcast? Yeah. Then we're going to do New Moon, which is, for those of you who don't know, the second movie in the Twilight series. And then we'll do Jurassic World. So... Uh, yeah, so that's our schedule. Updates. Um, well, we've got internet. In the office. In the office. It's amazing, at least in one port. 
So we'll have to pass it around. <laughs> One computer has the internet. And we're recording on my nicer microphone instead of our digital recorder. Which Thank is... goodness. <laughs> Makes my job easier. Yeah, Josh apparently did all sorts of things to make us sound like we weren't in a little tunnel. <laughs> yeah, all right. So um, I'm hoping to start writing, um, really writing, digging into Crimson Hollow this week. That's the fourth book in my Coben Chronicles. Uh, I don't know. We're still trying to get settled in. We have finally finished painting a lot of our, our wood trim, the custom wood trim that we did after we moved in. And it's looking really good. I'm admiring it right now. <laughs> Don't look at the part that hasn't been done, Josh. The part I think I right in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so I'm going to put the spot on Josh again. Go ahead and read the quote you picked and tell us why you picked it. Okie dokes. The enemy of excellence is not failure. It is when things aren't bad enough to disturb you. Dave Ramsey. So I chose this because pretty much the only time you suck at something is when you quit trying. And I think that's very true with anything that you're learning. Uh, dealing with writing, writing itself, you know, personal experience. I suck at writing because I don't do it as much <laughs> as I should. So you should suck more until it's so painful that you decide to get better. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we hit uh, we hit hit rock bottom with the business in summer. I took two months off, and that was what month was that? September or August? Yeah. It was really bad. I took two months off my newsletter and two months off of advertising and everything. I released one book until July. July was the first book I released, and we really suffered from that. And we it, this this quote right here. So when things aren't bad enough to disturb you, things really disturbed us. <laughs> that summer was really rough. And we're now that we're in April, we're trying to make it so that we don't do that again. And I've already released three books this year. Um, well, three, two novellas and one, and one novel. But, I mean, when things start disturbing you, that's when you actually are willing to get out. So you make, make things disturb you. <laughs> do disturbing things got it <laughs> why do you always twist what I say <laughs> he's looking at me like he's surprised that I would even <laughs> yeah. anyway <laughs> alright okay so the tip for today is a continuation of the beta reading stuff and I promised that I would teach you how to train beta readers so this is what I do to train my beta readers. At the end and the start of each book I send to beta readers, I put my deadline, uh, my email address, and a list of questions that I want them to answer. And then, of course, a list of books I've already published linking to them because beta readers, if, especially if this is like a middle book in a series, they'll go back and buy the other books. But so you give them a list of questions to be thinking over while they're reading. Not everyone will answer the questions, but I like to say, so did you have a chance to answer the questions? Did you have a chance to think about those questions? Just to push them back towards them. If they don't respond or don't answer those questions, then don't use them again. And if beta readers aren't sure how to answer, um, work with them a little bit. Kind of, you know, kind of give them a little bit of feedback. Help them figure things out. But don't spend too much time on this because your job is to write, not to train. And most of the time, just giving them a list of questions is, is enough. And a, a couple of the questions, a bunch of the questions that I've used. So Nicole is my main character when I was using these questions. It said, how do you feel about Nicole's character in this book? What about the other characters? Was the end satisfying? Why or why not? What questions did you have while reading and were they answered? Was there ever a point when the writing bored you? If so, where? What were your favorite and least favorite parts? Were all the threads you were interested in throughout the series tied off or throughout the book tied off? 
Were there any chapters or sections that made it harder to concentrate on reading? And if so, which ones and why? And what typos and grammatical errors did you find? Now, the point with that one where I'm asking if there are any sections that made it harder to concentrate on reading, it's because generally that'll be a pacing problem. Sometimes readers will say, I had a lot going on, so I wasn't able to finish the book or I wasn't able to concentrate on the story at that point. And so they'll be like, that was me, not you. But, but occasionally it's because the book is put downable. You want the book to not be put downable. And so you need them to tell you which parts are hard to concentrate on, hard to follow, and where they put the book down and then don't feel like pulling it back up again. All right, uh, I think that's it for this episode. Are we guys, are we ready to get into the movie? I am ready. Oh, I thought you were wrapping up the episode for a second. <laughs> well, that's it, guys. That, that's it, guys. Josh, thanks for your input. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's weird having three people here. I usually turn to Nolan and say talk. So, Nolan, I'm going to make you talk. Uh, what would you like me to talk about? Tell us about the movie Red and why we chose it. Um, because it's actiony and funny. That's why. That right. is that is one reason. Uh, why. Balancing action and comedy is difficult, I would imagine, because they're such kind of opposite. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like the action, the intensity, you know, tension, and then comedy. Yeah. So this movie is very good at getting those the comedy and action and drama beats distributed. So you know, it's not bogged down in any one of those categories. It's true. I, love, I do love this movie. And the second one's nearly as good, or as good. Yeah. All right, okay, so let's talk about the characters. Josh, do you want to talk, tell us a little bit of what you noticed about the characters? Well, they all have their own personalities. I mean, that's a huge plus when something, you know, actually focuses on... They have very different personalities. Yeah, yeah they have different personalities, and they kind of... They don't really... They're not homogenized. No, they have very different goals, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're throwing them together. It's like the extremes, very, very extremes on the personalities. Yeah, I mean, it is like it is a DC movie, a comic book movie. Which I didn't know that. I, I felt a little, like, not what's the word, a little, I'm thinking in Spanish, <laughs> molested, which doesn't translate into English. <laughs> um, a little bit bothered. I mean, kind of like, holy cow, wait, what? This is a DC movie? Yeah, DC movies generally stink. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> he says pointedly at the microphone. Uh, I'm blaming the studios. Like, if you're going to spend $200 million on a movie, make sure the script sounds good first. Yeah. <laughs> or at least, like, I don't know, like partway through. Like, at no point is anything you do good, and then you start, like, hiring people and paying them lots of money to suck at stuff. Please stop it. <laughs> okay. All right, okay. I'm going to make a comment about the characters. We've got Sarah, who's trying to find the exotic, and Frank, who's trying to be normal. Yeah, he, so uh, Frank is an assassin who's a, a really nice guy. CIA Former agent. Former CIA assassin. Oh. Chili guy. Okay. He toppled um, governments, yo. Yeah. Yes. And, and he's a hopeless romantic and he's very soft-spoken. <laughs> I love Frank. The opposite of what you would think. For a CIA. A, a, an assassin would be, and he's um, old, he's in his 50s, and retired. Yeah. Which is what RED stands for, retired, extremely dangerous. And then Sarah. And then Sarah um, it, it has a boring desk job and some call center somewhere. And she wants to be doing things. She wants to be traveling. She wants to be and out re there. Reads and reads spy novels. <laughs> no, she reads, no, she reads bodice-ripping novels. Best, loves Have a Secret is, is like there's spies in it. And stuff. Oh, yes, okay. No, but I like <laughs> that because Sarah is trying to, she's trying to find, it, like, make her life more exciting. And Frank is trying to be normal. Like, when he steps outside... 
and his neighbor puts Christmas decorations up and he looks every single house has Christmas decorations up at his. He's like, I'm not blending in very well. (laughs) One of my favorite things about him is the, the, the avocado plant. He starts growing. Oh the yes! So it's like a little minor detail in the movie that he's, you know, trying to do normal things. Yeah, planting and growing a garden, or even getting things to grow. Because he's used to killing things, so yeah. trying to grow an avocado plant's like <laughs> diametrically opposed to his nature. Yeah. It's got one leaf on it, and then it has two leaves on. <laughs> and that's how we tell time passes um, as well. He's that because he yeah he calls her again and again, and in between calls, you see like it grows another leaf. Yep. Yep. Okay, so let's actually talk about the opening scene really fast, since we're kind of going around it. Talking about it, sort of? Yeah, yeah, so he he makes a routine call to get a check, and then this is pretty much what the movie is. I think this sets the stage for the whole movie. You get, you get a routine call, and you find out it's not so routine, because... You know, he's like, yeah, I didn't get the check again. And she's like, so how's your avocado? I mean, they just drop, they go into them. We're, we're like, wait a second. There's this whole background here that we didn't expect, you know? So, so yeah, I like that. Like, it tells what the movie will be. It's routine and, and, and it's not. And I've got a couple other comments on that that I'll talk about later. But, yeah. Yeah, I mostly, with the opening scene, recognize that they, they really set the stage for the whole movie with the style of the humor just kind of being somewhat weird but also boring like they have a lot of jokes throughout the entire movie that are just kind of unexpected and kind of average and pointing out the weirdness of the average and i think do you have examples or not uh, the books mostly is how they both talk about and react to the books and then the kind of the surprise that frank is reading the same books and then the way he's like uh uh, yeah and she's like (sighs) crying about them or whatever (laughs) It's terrible. Oh, it's horrible. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they they really set a really good sort of vibe for the the rest of the movie. Yeah. Nolan, do you have any comments on that? Yeah. No. It's, it's so they they established normal. Yeah. Yeah. And then scene two is them blowing it up. Yeah. Pretty much. So like, look how boring his life is. Like, you know, he makes calls to. They don't spend too much time doing it, and they it's not boring because they inject humor into that the scene of uh, everyday life. Yeah. So they they have like a good good dialogue, um, chemistry with the characters involved, and it and they they do not take too much time establishing that before uh, gunfire. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right. So they did it very well, and they 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 made it go a little longer than maybe some other movies by having humor in it. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just have that be like dialogue without humor. That would be like people would stop caring within the first five minutes. Of the movie. So they hook you that way. So the character development, uh, every scene tells something about the characters while pushing the plot forward. Um, so like the guy, the guy with cute hair, when he's on the phone in the house, he's framing a man for murder and he's just talking like, Oh, I can grab some on the way home. And yeah, you too. And I'll talk to her. And just like this husband talking to a wife while he's like murdering somebody. (laughs) Um, uh, it's not murder. <laughs> I mean, just killing, but <laughs> jeez, <laughs> killing is not always murder. Yeah, we don't know what he did, so it's true. Know. It's true. true. Judge. Um, but I would have to say that some of the best characters ever written are in this movie. Like, okay, so like Sarah, when they're breaking into a, they're breaking into the CIA's headquarters to get the files. She's like, "What would the punishment for this be?" And he's like, "Death." 
life in prison. She's like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite that kind of shows her is when <clears throat> he speaks Chinese to her and she just kind of smirks at the ground. Yeah. Does, does the you speak years. Chinese and you're like, yeah. And she's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because so what he is, is he is everything that she wants and she is everything he wants. And so like she's normal, she's boring and he's looking for that and he's exciting and traveled and that's what she's looking for and so they fit together really well yeah the the movie um like in her room there's a bunch of postcards you know and like that's how they do scene switches in the movie is they show a postcard of where they're going so they basically go on they go on a road trip is what the movie is yeah um and a, a lot of places she had postcards too in her room so all right let's talk about antagonist and protagonist josh do you have any comments on those on that so i'm pretty bad at writing notes (laughs) <laughs> and the only thing that I wrote was a tentative, and I have no idea why I wrote it. <laughs> All right, Nolan. <laughs> uh, so, so we have. I want to say the obvious. So that there's. <clears throat> Sorry. So something happened, and somebody's after Frank, yeah. and Sarah gets mixed up in it. And they send it. They like there's. They have a lot of interaction with this agent, William Cooper, who's the guy with cute hair. Um, his name? Yeah. I don't ever know his name. I just called him. I, I looked hair. it up on IMDb. So okay, <laughs> when I reference my phone, that's me looking up people's names on there. Anyway, um, so you get to see him a lot. He ends up not being the bad guy, but he's the antagonist for a lot of the movie. He's he's um, the one they that gets in their way the most and, in the movie. And the fun of this movie is trying to figure out who the real antagonist is. So because we start out with the cute hair guy, and then we go to like the current CIA former CIA, then we find out it's the vice president, then we find out it's a group of operatives. I mean, we're, like, you know, following all these different leads to figure out who is attacking Frank Moses, who's trying to kill him. Right, exactly. They, they, they're investigating. They're like, is it this lead? And then that leads them on to the next person and the next person and the yeah. next person in the movie. Yeah, so they set up the premise at the beginning. Like, they try to kill... They try to kill Frank, and he has to rescue Sarah because they've been talking too much on the phone, and it makes her 22 phone calls is what they say they've made. And so it makes her look suspicious. And so he goes and kidnaps her, which is wonderful. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll talk about that in just a minute because I want to talk about that in just a minute. <laughs> yeah, me too. And and the, like the fun of the movie, so they set up the premise, like we have to figure out who is trying to kill Frank. But it, the fun of it is figuring that out and following the trails and things like that with all the comedy and then the, like Josh said, the very diametrically opposed characters that we meet, you know, that are so opposite, like Marvin or whatever his name Marvin. is. Marvin. Which one's Marvin? As played by John Malkovich, the crazy one, the pig. Oh, the pig. Yeah. Okay. Marvin. Yeah, he lives. Duh, Marvin. He has. He's. He's like, come into my house, and and she's like, but isn't that your house? And he's like, it's a decoy. <laughs> and they go <laughs> in through the trunk of a car to his house, which is an underground bunker. Which is pretty cool. Yes. With a vault in the underground bunker. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Everyone does that. <laughs> Yeah. The so old the vault in the bunker. Yes. <laughs> the hidden bunker. Hidden bunker. So this is the comedy, one of my favorite right at the beginning, when she gets she's on a date apparently and he drops her off and he's like, Aren't you gonna invite me in? And she's like, No, and he's like, But I bought you dinner. <laughs> classic nice guy. <laughs> but I bought you dinner. Yeah, that's a classic nice guy thing to say. And he doesn't have a job and lives with his mom. Oh yeah, that's right. Because she's like, oh yeah, you live with your mom. What I'm, what a surprise. Oh, and then okay, so this is the same scene, and he's like, you packed. She's like, you packed my bag, and he's like, 
yeah, I did. And she goes, and you vacuumed? And he's like, a little. It was messy in here. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and he's putting duct tape over her mouth, and he's like, your eyes are so beautiful. <laughs> oh, it's, it's amazing, this movie. So one thing that I noticed, the dialogue, I didn't even notice the dialogue because of the, how, how natural the flow it was. So nothing stood I mean, obviously it was funny, and so that caught my attention, but nothing stood out to me as being, like, at, that it was dialogue, and then I was watching people it's converse. A lot, it's a lot of deadpan delivery. Like, they're just serious. They just say it, like, in the normal context. But the context of, like, your eyes are so beautiful, but it's, he's saying that while he's duct-taping her mouth, you know? Yeah. Or, or he's like, I wish we could have met differently, you know? Like, this is not how I imagined we would meet. And she's, like, tied up in the backseat. And she's like, well, I thought you would have hair. Yeah. And she's all, no, 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 the... Over He's like, are you hungry? And she starts yelling at him. He's like, I, I'd like some pizza too. Because <laughs> yeah. he's used to, uh, you know, people having duct tape over their mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to understand what they say. <laughs> so actually, this is something that I, I noticed really a lot is every single character, because they're so just insane in their own way, and they're just so stereotypical, their character. Um, I mean, that's part of the charm of the movie is how crazy they are. They all have very normal dialogue. Like, every single person, the way they interact with each other is very normal. And so it, it kind of, I don't know, it's its not an overacting style. So they're trying to be normal people, but they're also weird. And yeah. they get really they, good they, mesh. They save the over-the-top stuff more for the action, action, which is not crazy crazy. It's standard action movie um, fare. But they definitely, it's a definitely not realistic yeah like getting out of a it's, police car while it's spinning around which is awesome which, which is i made a amazing. note about that too <laughs> it was amazing but well i mean impossible. tell yeah explain that that so that they know what we're talking about so frank and sarah just i mean frank just re rescued her rescued her again again i mean re-rescued i don't, I don't know how to say that he rescued, rescued her, her <laughs> after kidnapping her and then her getting rescued in quotes yeah, by the bad guy, the bad and then guy. him rescuing then, her yeah, so, from the bad guy. So he's running away from, I mean, driving away in the stolen police car, and um, he gets T-boned, and while it's spinning around, he just gets out and starts shooting at the, the car as it's, like, spinning away from, like, impossible. And it barely misses his leg. And it's just, it's it's really hard to describe how awesome it is and yeah. impossible, but... He, yeah, he doesn't miss a beat. It's, like, completely natural. He, he's not he even hops out of the car and... Yeah, he's, it's just, like, what he does every day, so he's it, it just... It's completely natural for him to be doing that sort of thing. It, his expression doesn't even change. No. He's not worried or excited or anything. He's just... He just hops out and pew, pew, pew. Although he doesn't reload enough times for how many bullets he shoots. For yeah, yeah, no one was counting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, something that I... Um, that's really great about these these scenes, though, is like they're they're just there. Like, you don't really have any sort of... Oh gosh, I can't. I can't a lead in. And there's very little lead in. Yeah, there's. It's just. It's very tense and confusing, and that's something I really like about a lot of movies. Is uh, the really good ones is they. They don't ha- hold your hand through the entire plot. Yeah. They, they just throw you into the plot right in the middle of it, or so it seems. Make you figure it out as you go. Mm-hmm. So that's. I mean, leading. I mean, we already brushed on that a little bit, talking about leading it from bad guy to bad guy, trying to figure out who the actual bad guy is. That movie does it really well with the action as well, where it's not predictable when it's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, the movie was, it's very, very well written. I mean, like, that's something that with writers, you know, you writers sometimes, they assume that their readers aren't intelligent. Or they assume that they need to explain more than they should. And so this movie does not over-explain anything. It doesn't over-show anything or over-tell anything. And yet there's not, well, I can't think of any expositional parts. Where... No, there's no info dumping. No. It's all informing other characters of stuff that they don't know. Exactly. Like when the cute hair guy gets his mission, like he, he has to kind of figure out half of it on his own. And you just see him doing that, doing his research, and oh, look at that. And oh, look at that. Oh, I need to go get the files for this guy now. Yeah. Yeah, because they don't tell him everything, which he, that, that makes it interesting too, because that's a subplot, you know, him. Right. He's investigating from the other end. They're like, why do, why do they want me to find and kill this guy? Yeah. Um, and he needs more information in order to find him anyways, because, you know, he's, Frank is investigating a case, so he needs to know what case it is for him to investigate it from the other side so he can guess where they're going to go next. And in, in the course of doing that, he finds out that they're not the bad guys. Um, yeah. But there's these other bad guys, and they kind of team up at the end. But, yeah. So the inciting incident is when the men, with, the men with guns in his house. So he's like, you know, I don't remember what he's doing. He goes downstairs to get a drink or something, I guess. And He wakes up in the middle of the night. Yeah, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's like looking around and you see men with guns in his house. And so that's that would be the inciting incident, I think. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? Yeah, so I mean, you know, like a half dozen guys uh, show up at his house to kill him. Josh, yeah. do you know what an inciting incident is? Well, it's kind of like the catalyst. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Yeah, I mean, it... you've listened to all these episodes, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, so my thought about that is, is um, the inciting incident in this is, I love how they do it because the only hint or foreshadowing that you have that he is all the hot stuff that he is is that he's yeah. getting very you know i mean if you're familiar at all with pensions his pension checks are pretty good sized for i didn't even notice for i mean it only briefly shows one but he's he's getting a federal pension check and so you you that's really the only hint that you have that he has a history with anything you yeah. assume i mean obviously it's the government because pension but um and he's calling pension services and that means military of some kind or something so you assume kind of a little bit about him, but you don't know what level he is until, yeah. And since he's retired, there's nothing in his house that shows you. Yeah. And he lives on a cute street, and yeah, I mean... perfectly normal. It's in, uh, like, Cleveland, I think. You see it on the side of his garbage can, and he's taking his garbage out, and he's like, hi, Mr. Moses. He's like, hi, you know. And... There's just little hints here and there, like the fact that he doesn't have any Christmas decorations up, the fact that he, she's like, you can grow something when he's growing an avocado, you know? Like, just little things here and there that hint that he's kind of new at this trying to be a normal person. Yep. Uh, okay, so my next comment is on number 10, romance. And okay. I want to talk about this for a minute. Okay. <laughs> this is, I have to say, kidnapping trope is one of my favorite tropes. But without, this is perfect because it doesn't have all the kinky, weird Stockholm Syndrome stuff with it. This has the whole, she's kidnapped by a good guy. And the ad adhesion, adhesion is very important in a romance. So you have to have a reason for the guy and the girl to be stuck together. And this is a great, great way for it to happen. Like he's trying to save her, you know, protect her from. And they already have chemistry before. On the phone. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's not random. They had a connection. Yeah. And he, he's like, I'm going to be in Kansas City. And she's like, oh, you're coming here. And, and, she's... and he's like. And she's like, she's like, that could be bad. And he's like, yeah, it could be, but I'm going to be there. And she's like, okay, uh, call me when you get here. And so they, 
they already have that connection. And then yeah. he shows up and kidnaps her. Instead. So, and that's actually the I meet told you cute. To call first. That's that right there is the meet cute is when he's in her living room. That's the yeah. first time they've met, and he she gets in from this date, and she's like talking to herself, and she walks past a hall, and he's like hi, <laughs> in her house, and she's like freaking out, and he's like, it's Frank, Frank Moses, you know? I told you to call first. I told you to call first. <laughs> Did you her... pack my bags? Did you vacuum? <laughs> totally awesome. <laughs> anyway, I don't have any other comments on on this page. No, they, they do a good job, because like, they, they, they have something to overcome. They, they have a connection, something comes up that blocks them from being together, just the circumstances... Him kidnapping her and her thinking he's psychotic. Yeah, and it takes them a little time, and not a lot, but then they have to rebuild trust. Well, when she realizes that he's not, that he's serious, is when the guy rescues her. So he's like, he like ties her up and duct tapes her, throws her in the back of a car and takes her to a hotel and ties her to the hotel bed while he goes off and... Anyway, so he goes off to meet him and... Joe Matheson. Yeah, Joe. He goes off to meet Joe and she somehow breaks herself off of the headboard and she calls 911 and, of course, her call gets intercepted, and they send somebody out to rescue her. Well, then the guy, like, tries to stab her. He does end up stabbing her with a needle. and Oh, uh, yeah, truth serum. Yeah, and Frank um, rescues her. And so that's when she realizes that Frank is telling the truth. And then she's all on board. Like, totally on board. <laughs> Do I get a gun? <laughs> in the second movie, she does. Yeah, in the second movie, she does get a gun. I haven't seen the second one. You haven't? Spoilers, guys. Oh, sorry. That's not a very big spoiler. It's at the beginning of the movie, anyway, I think. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, does anybody else have any comments on this page right here? Uh, no. Oh, yeah, bad gun safety. That's your, oh, you're on yeah. the front page still. I know, that's the anti- So, uh, um... Oh, the cute <laughs> the hair. hair. Yeah. His finger's on the trigger. He's on, on the trigger and he's pointing with he's his gun at, at people. Like yelling at lecturing someone and pointing their, his gun in their he's face. Get it figured just, out! Yeah. With no finger, no trigger guard. Yeah, well, the thing is, he's CIA, and anybody who's used a gun, they know, never point the gun at somebody, never put your finger on the trigger unless you are ready to shoot right at that moment. Yeah. And so he's CIA. He knows this stuff. He wouldn't be pointing with the gun. So, uh, Carl, buddy, get your finger off the trigger. Oh, the actor? Hand. Yeah, I'm talking, to, I'm talking in person. Listen, I'm talking to, as like... A man's man right now. Get your <laughs> finger off the trigger when you're way, pointing it at people you don't want to shoot. That's not how this works. And don't point your gun at people you don't want to shoot. Yeah. I'm not talking to a man-to-man. That's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, the mood, it's quirky, right? Quirky yeah, humor. Quick. quick humor, yeah. Mm-hmm. They do a good job between going... You know, they even inject humor into action scenes. Yeah. Um, but not always. They, they don't ruin the momentum when they do it. Yes, I appreciate um, that. Like the pig? Yeah, it doesn't feel out of place. <laughs> so awesome. Explain the pig. We've mentioned the pig now a few times. The pig is a grenade launcher. Well, the pig is a stuffed animal that hides a grenade launcher. Yes. By the way, I love all of Marvin's weapons. <laughs> Marvin's pretty awesome. Yeah. Now can I kill her? <laughs> He's got a, a crossbow that uses an M, uh, an AR-15 lower. You know, there you go. A grenade launcher, uh, Smith & Wesson 460... My favorite scene is when, uh, is it Moses's secret stockpile of weapons? Yeah. And then Marvin's like, can I? Oh, wait, the storage unit yeah, or whatever? the storage unit. And, like, they, they, they didn't just make, like, get generic-looking assault-style weapons and throw them all. They actually had, like, legit weapons. Like, they had the Steyr Aug on the wall and... 
I don't know if that's actually how you say it. It's an Australian name again. So Australian? Sounds like it's German. It sounds German. That's why I pronounce it that way. But Josh speaks oh German, gosh. by the way. I'm going to look it up. This is my favorite gun, and I don't know which where it comes from. It sounds Austrian. The the Steyr Daimler Puch. That's not how it would be pronounced in German. See, it says here, Steyr, the Aug is an Austrian, not Austrian. Did I read it wrong? I totally read Austrian. it wrong. Austrian. Austrian. Okay, so it's Austrian. Australian. Shame on me. <laughs> my goodness. Anyway, that's that's. I've always thought that gun was, was amazing. So the second I saw it on the wall, I'm like, hey, they did research. They have actual guns on the wall, not just generic assault, generic assault style, black and scary. Yeah, no kidding. All right, so... Too much Counter-Strike. Or <laughs> That's why I know that gun exists. <laughs> oh, <laughs> called, totally called it. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> it's a gun. And I've never played Counter-Strike, so... It's classic. Yeah, I know StarCraft is a classic. That too, but... Wolfenstein is a classic. That's a pre-classic. That's yeah. That's that's Stone like. Age. No, I love Wolfenstein. <laughs> um, let's see. So examples of of implausible versus plausible. We've got okay. So just an example when the, with the inciting incident, we've got a bunch of guys coming at his house with tons and tons of guns and bullets, and at, at first it feels like why would they send that many men and that many guns. I mean, that many bullets. Why are they doing that? It feels implausible. So I'm like, is it over the top? Nope. He's He he completely trashes them all. And the way he does it is a way that's believable for somebody who knows what he's doing. And so it doesn't feel like it's implausible after that. Yeah, he doesn't make like these ridiculous like jumping like shots. Matrix that, type yeah, actions. No, he sneaks up on him and then shoots him in the head. I mean, a lot. <laughs> or, or in the case of the guy that the guy was trying to his own needle, with his own needle yeah. yep so uh let's see show and tell i would say this movie is fantastic when it comes to showing and not telling they do tell a couple of things but it's the stuff that you need to tell you know yeah people have conversations about things that are important and they actually exchange information where one person doesn't know something and then you know yeah, there's no maiden butler in the in the show, okay, which is so irritating. Uh, you you don't get to hear this, but every time we watch a movie and somebody does exposition, I yell it out. <laughs> like exposition, <laughs> and I'm like info dump, <laughs> maiden butler. Yeah, yeah. Like as you know, blah 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 blah. No, no, no. I'm not listening anymore. Yeah, stop <laughs> it. Does anybody have any comments on conflicts, which is number fifteen? So. My the one thing that is that st- stands out to me in the movie of the 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 worst conflict of the, of the movie the the one thing that I always have disliked about the movie is mostly because I hate the character of Cooper's boss. Oh, the chick. She is so flat oh. and generic. Sylvia. Boss. Yeah. She yeah. Uh... And they have like a little bit of a conflict. Like I don't care, just get it done. Wow, he handed it to you. Like get it done. Like it's it's. So you she, have something I, about the movie you don't like. It's just her character. Like, they could have chosen someone that could play a better boss character. Like, she's trying to be all hard on him, but it's just generic and kind of weak the way she delivers it. It doesn't really, she doesn't really show that she actually cares what happens to the case. Yeah. Or what happens that it's not getting done. She just is like, she doesn't care how he does it. Like, just do it. Come on. Just do it. I have bosses like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess. So do I, but everyone's supposed to be kind of ridiculous in the movie. I don't know. Well, you have have to have one character who kind of falls flat, right? Yeah, maybe it's because she has only one facial expression like the whole movie, and that's mildly disappointed. <laughs> that's true. 
I also have bosses like that. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so my only comment on research was pointing with the gun. They 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 failed on that one. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. But it's harder to do that in mo- in books. You know, a movie shows you pointing with a gun. In a book, he pointed with his gun and his finger was on the trigger. Right, exactly. You'd have to actually go way out of your way to break that I mean, rule. Even then, though, like, some people are dumb with guns. I mean, obviously he wouldn't be because he's, you know, professional CIA. with it. But even then, he probably, it's potential that it could happen. So it's not a huge research issue. People are dumb sometimes. But the one thing about the research that I really liked is, I think we already mentioned it, is the, the only firing as many bolts or in what the magazine would hold for the gun. Yeah. Like when he gets out of the car all, all boss-like after being T-boned. He fires and then reloads and fires the the same number of shots would be in the magazine both times. Um, he they don't show him reloading, but it is actually a multiple of what would the magazine would have, I believe. Yeah, it's like sixteen he, shots. She's sixteen, so he would have reloaded in between, which we don't hear or see because you just hear the shots. Yeah, but it is um, it is possible. You know, yeah, right. I did have a complaint about that, but it is exactly it's, he shoots eight and then reloads. We see him reload once and then he shoots sixteen more, but. Maybe it's a double stack and it was but already. Saying, but I'm saying we, we he could have reloaded in that yeah. time because you don't see him do but it. But my point is what if it was a double stack and he'd already shot eight? 19, eight the, his model of 1911 is not a double stack. Those are 2011 style <laughs> double stacks and they're not 45. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nolan. <laughs> Info dump. <laughs> He's giving us an innocent expression like what? <laughs> I wish I knew that much about it. <laughs> That's why if I ever have any questions, I'll be like, hey, Nolan. <laughs> They're used for competitions. Yeah. Anyway, did anybody notice any anything on foreshadowing, noteworthy, miscellaneous, these topics? Foreshadowing. Hmm. Nothing I noticed. I mean, it's an investigation. So, I mean, they you, you do find things that, like, end up being ominous and, like, point to bigger things. But I'm not... I don't think they did it as heavy-handedly as well, maybe some Well, foreshadowing would be them trying to kill Frank again. Like, that many men, that many bullets at the beginning. It foreshadows that the reason he's dying is for a big reason. And we, the person yeah. who's trying to kill him is a big person. So Yeah. yeah. I think that probably the biggest foreshadow as to is, is Joe dying. Is, is that they mentioned kind That's of true. passing that That's he has excellent. Yeah, stage 4 cancer. Yeah. And so um, as soon as the, the tense moment comes up where they, they don't know what to do... It may, you immediately know why they're hugging him and like saying goodbye because you know that he's going to volunteer because volunteer, he's already dying. Yeah, He's a great character. Like when he ha- has the rest home nurse fix the antenna yeah. on the TV. She's like, how does that look? Perfect or whatever. Yeah. Dirty old man. Dirty old man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so there's my comment on the hopping out of the car and the shooting while the car is spinning. Oh, it's a good trick. Another thing was the uh, the saluting in it. All the people that were like actual military saluted properly, where you couldn't see the other side of their hand. And then like the politicians that saluted sucked at saluting. <laughs> and I, I like that. Was, I, I don't know if it was intentional, but I, I put that under research because I mean, if they actually research what saluting looks like, you know, they will err on the side of making sure their palms are not visible to to the person they're saluting. And they all did pretty good with that. Nice. All right. Um, climax conver- uh, talk. Things you guys noticed in the climax? It was good. Yeah. I noticed yeah. it was satisfying and intricately planned and very well thought out. 
which I'm, I'm huge on climaxes in books and movies. I like them to be big and epic and explodey, and my books reflect that. That's one of my biggest complaints about the Mercy Thompson books. They're really, really good, but her climaxes are really, really short, and like she punches somebody, and then that's the end of the movie or book. It's probably why I like Brandon Sanderson so much is because his climaxes are about 40% of the book. Well, not maybe not. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but he builds 30, up to 20. it for a lot, and then the climaxes basically has its own climaxes in it. And it's very, very... <laughs> we were just... He's very good at timing. Yes. Um, yes, he, he, he He's very good at that. Um, he's good at foreshadowing and threading plots. Yeah, and like knowing when to introduce information for maximum impact. Yeah. Like, you know, building up and then revealing during the fight, the big fight, revealing more information that ups the intensity of the fight. Not just like someone reveals a new power, but somebody reveals more information that makes it more meaningful. That's that's, that's also a proof of a good editor too, because a good editor will be like, you know, if you did it here, it would have more impact, you know, because mm -hmm. not yeah. every author does not catch every single thing, you know, and so there's so many moving parts that, you know, having a, an editor who's pays attention to those things is, is very valuable. Anyway, back to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie does a good job of that sort of thing where yeah. the information ups the intensity and the stakes. Yeah, I agree with um, that. So yes, that is, should we do our takeaways? Um, I'm going to do a little bit of trivia first and then takeaways. So trivia, um, John Malkovich was reading the script and he thought that he was auditioning for the part of Frank Moses. And he's like, are you sure I'm the right guy for this? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, then he's like, wait a second. Which part am I reading for? He was reading for the wrong part. So <laughs> John Malkovich's character would not pull off a Frank Moses very well. Agreed. I think he's funny. But anyway, um, okay, Josh, let's let you go first. Top three biggest takeaways from this movie for authors. Okay, so I, I this is probably the hardest ones for me. It took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do for this. But, I mean, we've already kind of touched on some of these already. We've already kind of touched on some of these already. <laughs> anyway, we've touched on some of these already. And the first one is that characters that stay themselves is probably the most important thing. Like, you, you need to have, like, a backstory for your characters or whatever. You need to know who your characters are so that when certain things happen to them, they're still themselves. Like, you can't have them start doing things like other characters. It's one of, like... Uh, I, I read a book recently that that was it I can't fantasy really, or it was fantasy. I can't really think of the one that I'm, that that was in my mind when I was writing this. But J.K. Rowling isn't also very good at this. I mean, she's not particularly great at this either because sometimes her character, her male characters, act nothing like they actually would. Um, especially Ron Weasley, he tends to act like a his little sister more than himself whenever conflict happens. Mm -hmm. um, he acts like a Weasley then. Well, I guess, but <laughs> but there are times where you you'd expect him to you know act differently, and then he acts normal, like he doesn't blow up about something. I mean, I don't have any specific examples. It's been like a year since I read the series. Anyway, just characters need to say themselves. Um, the second one was um, you don't necessarily need to like for a climax or when things are coming together. In, in this movie in particular, the, the whole scene of getting or kidnapping the vice president, it's a really, really, really generic sort of, well, let's cause a diversion and get the, the, the Secret Service to, to escort this guy, make them feel uh, like really freaked out, and then get him into the back of a car and have 
the main guy that we kidnapping him drive him away but then they add all these fun little details to make it seem a lot more complex like the plan is a lot more robust um like adding you know the the, the natural 50, gas the natural gas the machine gas. gun the fun little dialogue quirks that make it seem like there's a lot more to the plan when in reality they're like only two people were really needed to were needed to execute it they had every character doing it so it seemed like more complex so like honestly adding details or steps to a plan can make it seem a lot more complex than it is and your perspective that you want the readers to have is very important to kind of hide how simple the plan is um not being very practiced in writing i'm i can't really say how how a good way to do that is but um it's just it's nice to, to have things simple but add detail to make it seem complex and then um Probably my favorite thing about this is who you assume to be the bad guy, like the whole movie, because he has morality and he has standards and he has values, he is an incredibly good bad guy because in the end, he still does what he thinks is right, ends up turning into a good guy. Um, Cooper, I'm talking about Cooper, and he... Uh, Which is know, a good name for a guy with cute hair. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know anything about that, but... Yeah, just, just basically... Characters that have standards can be really good bad guys. Like, Brandon Sanderson uses bad guys with standards really often. Nolan, your top three big takeaways? I don't know if I have three, but I think the number one, balancing moods. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Right, because it's quirky, and like I said, there's quirky humor, uh, there's romance, um, Oh, those kinds of moods. I thought you were talking about the characters' moods. No, not that. Um... But even their moods, too, I mean... Oh, boy. Thank um, um, They do a good job of mixing all that together. Yeah. You don't go too long without having one. They don't put one in the wrong spot you know, to kill the mood, kill the momentum of the movie. One just, like, naturally leads to the other, and they do a very good job of doing that in their yeah. scene construction. They spend a lot of time thinking about where to put jokes. Would it be appropriate to put a joke here? I mean, we could make a joke, but then what does that do to the action scene? You know, yeah. that uh, important. Making your characters be different is extremely important. They're, they may have gone the melodramatic route in this, so maybe you don't want to have as much separation in your book as they have in this movie, but it's important that they behave in a way specific to that character. The lines that, that they give would only be from that character. You can't give a Marvin line to Frank. Frank. Or Sarah. Or, or whoever, or some of the other characters we didn't have time to get into talking about. They're very much themselves in every way. How they act, what they say, what they wear, their histories um, with their histories of themselves and how they interacted in the past with the other characters in the group. I mean, they're, they're just very individual. That separation makes them more interesting. Is that your number two? That was my number two. I don't have a number three. <laughs> well, I've got one and two should be enough. <laughs> yes, that was Beautician and the Beast that we watched today. Yes. <laughs> All right, so, okay, so my top takeaways are, I've got three, possibly four, but I think I'll just keep it to three. So every scene is in a different location, and literally every scene is in a different location. Yes, that's true. So, like, okay, so they're in, they have different, they have scenes, several different scenes where they're in cars, but the characters are in different places in the car, or there's new people in those, in the cars. That is true. You mentioned that. Yeah, because Sarah is in the back of the duct tape, and then she's in the front duct tape, or, or something, and then she's... Drugged. Drugged, drugged. yeah, drugged. And then, and then she's in the front just fine and all happy and stuff, and then both her and Moses are in the back together in the end. 
Yeah, and then you've okay. got Marvin in the front and her in the back. So they they throw they toss things up quite a bit. This is really good for thrillers and for mass moving books, but I would say it's even good for romances because you know, readers are more likely to remember the scenes and the the flow that you're taking if you set it every scene in a different location. And they do a good job of mixing, like you said. So like you'll have, you know, Frank with Marvin and then um what's her face? Sarah, the British lady. Oh, Helen? Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren in real life. I don't remember what her name was in there. Um, but um, you see how each character interacts with all the, almost maybe not all of the other characters, Victoria. Is Victoria, yeah. But then Victoria and Sarah have a conversation. You see how their characters interact by themselves. They just have a conversation. You yeah. know what I mean? And so they, they just do like a round robin thing where everybody ends up talking to pretty much everybody else by themselves. And you see how those characters interact. And they're usually in a different location, too. Mm-hmm. Like accomplishing something or on their way to accomplish something. So, like, okay, we need to new, go to New York. And so while they're going to New York, these characters have a very specific interaction with each other. Yeah. So my number two takeaway is, and this goes kind of along with what Josh was saying, so you need strong characters. They need to... Okay, so so my definition of a strong character isn't necessarily a character who is strong and makes good choices. My definition of a strong character is somebody who has a good backstory and has believable motivations. And so you can have characters who make bad choices and they're weak and they're wimps and et cetera, but they're still a strong character because they follow their motivations and they're, and we understand their motivations and they have a backstory that we can either relate to or we recognize. So make sure that your characters are strong and then, the number three is put put a focus on the climax of the book. This is this is like I was saying. My one of my biggest pet peeves is when a book has a a weak climax. You need to make sure that it is. I mean, readers are reading the book for that part of the book. You know that and the resolution. So if you don't make your climax be be big and explodey, and I mean for like a romance, you know, have your characters when they have their separation phase, make it a separation phase. Don't have it be like twenty minutes. You know, so it needs to be. Really put them through something. Yeah, no, seriously. Your readers want to read something where the characters are miserable in that climax. You know, you want your characters to be in pain and and suffering and everything. And this is especially important for pantsers because pantsers tend to have really good character development and really good, good growth. And the, the way they lead their stories is a lot of fun, but their climaxes are generally too short. And so, like, that's my experience when I've been editing for back when I was taking clients on editing uh, like I'd have to say, okay, your climax needs to be about 20% bigger than it and longer than it is. You need to add more in, especially the one client I had when I edited a thriller and the climax was like two seconds long. And I'm like, this is a thriller. You need to have explosions, you know? Yeah. I think the downside is they, they go on this fun, like spontaneous ride and they usually have their climax in mind. Who The pants Panthers. They usually have like a loose idea of what their objective is, but once they get there, that's the end for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they, they, they reach that objective, which is somebody then, got yeah. killed, and instead of having a big fight, well, they have a fight, they exchange a couple slaps and then kill the person, and then that's the end. Instead of having it be a dangerous situation for the character where you're like, oh my gosh, is this character actually going to pull through? Yeah, because to make all those pieces to come together does planning or at least a lot of editing because once you get there and like you do your first read through you're like oh this obviously 
you know, then you have to do your balance. You have to balance your beats, you know, like, yeah, yeah. is there enough action here? Did I, you know, weave this plot in enough? I just think if you're a pantser, you're going to have to do more work on the, your first editing pass for yeah. structure. And even I'm an outliner and I still, I'll read my books and I'll be like, Hey, that like the last book, book, book nine of my nine book series, it, it wasn't the climax. I read it. I'm like, okay, it's too weak, you know, even though I'd outlined it. So I had to add a couple scenes in where my character was more miserable because I like making my characters be miserable. That's good. Hurt them. Hurt them. It kind of helps with character development. It's more interesting. It is. It's more interesting. It's more fun to read, you know? I've, I've, I I don't remember where I heard it. It might've been a writing conference back when I was going with me to LTUE and all that. Yeah. That someone said something along the lines of like, people really hate drama in real life, but they, if you don't have drama and fiction, no one will like it. Yeah. It's boring. Pretty simple. But you don't want your climax. You want your climax. I think I made this point in for twilight. Your climax needs to match the tone of the rest of the book. So don't make it too explodey. It just right. If the rest of the book isn't, it should. It, I mean, it. Sh- yeah, that's exactly what we talked about a lot in this. Is the tone. Yeah. How they managed to maintain it throughout. Uh-uh. They established it early and they maintained it. So yeah. Yeah. All right. So any last thoughts from either of you on this this movie? It's fun. If you haven't seen it, you shouldn't be listening to this episode. Well, uh, we didn't give that many spoilers actually. That's true. Um, I was very proud of us. Gave away all the good jokes though. No, we gave away like <laughs> an eighth of the good jokes. Not even that. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Of, it's not like a joke necessarily you would tell somebody and have it be funny because they make it about the situation. There. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. an inside yeah. joke technically. Which is what's so good about it. Yeah. Um, they're not just like throwaway one-liners. They're actually relevant to like what's going on. Yeah. Josh, me? Um, it doesn't suck. <laughs> wow, that, that's I... a strong recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Rush out and see this movie if you haven't. <laughs> it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck. I, I just, I just really love the actors in this movie because they're all really, really good at being themselves, and I mean they're actors. Yeah, being their characters, and I especially really like the interaction between the the Russian and Frank. Uh, what's his name? Old rivals. Uh, Old rivals turned friends. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Anyway, so let's see. So this week we're focusing on finishing getting getting settled in. How many episodes have we talked about settling into our house? Like half of them. <laughs> so true. Anyway, hey, but we've got the nice mic now, and we've got internet to my computer. We need to get internet to Nolan's computer. And um, hopefully getting book work done this week. Yeah. All right. So I guess that's it, right? No one's still re- reading on his phone. Yeah. They have, like, some random people. <laughs> the nurse. Like, I don't remember a nurse in this movie. She's the nurse. Joe's nurse. No, it's a white chick. Oh. It's a white chick. Anyway. All right. So, yeah. So, go watch the movie Red if you haven't seen it. And if you have any questions, email me at andrea at com And come join the BookBub Promotions and More Facebook group. And check us out on patreon.com forward slash strong. So we, like I said, the next movie is Jurassic Park 3 and then Sweet Home Alabama. And I'm really looking forward to both of those movies. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Bye. 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 (laughs) Josh.